Thanks, everyone. Um, nice to be here. And there's uh, a number of familiar faces here from over years in different contexts, which is nice as well. I was in a, a, I conducted a funeral on, on Friday with Leslie, and she came up to me at the end. She says, it's nice to have a bit of God stuff, you know, at the end of it. So that was a nice bit of encouragement at the end. So I, I wanted to say thank you for being here today. I know I'm not uh, part of this community here, but... Uh, it's, it's good that you're taking the time to be encouraged and to encourage each other in, in following Jesus. So well done for making the time this morning because there's lots of other things that you could be doing. So well done for being here. Um, Jono rang me mid last week and asked me if I could come and speak here after a number of them were taken out, as uh, uh, Stu said, with COVID. And I said yes, only to find out in a number of days afterwards that half of Church by the Bay has been taken out with COVID as well. So it seems to be there's just another wave, isn't there, that's just um, hitting us quite hard. I was up in the early hours of Thursday morning in the night asking God about what I should share with you. I'm not an itinerant preacher. I don't have a list of favourite sermons that I just kind of roll out when I go to a visiting church. So I was up in the night and uh, praying and asking um, the Lord, what should I share with you guys today? Um, and so in the night, I, I felt that the Lord spoke to me to encourage you from the book of James and particularly to, to encourage you to pursue wisdom. Uh, but before I do that, perhaps I'd like to encourage you with a couple of things that I particularly see about this church. And firstly, about your, your campus pastor, Jono. I've, I got to know Jono uh, through uh, a, a mastering leadership class that we started here. We were reading a, a book together and then we were doing some peer coaching with some leaders that were both in ministry in the church and leading as Christian leaders in other contexts. And so I got to see um, kind of Jono and, and get to know him and, and see what I think an incredible man he is. Out of the fivefold gifts that um, Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, Jono has a very strong gift of being a pastor. I see his care of people, his willingness to go the extra mile um, in difficult times and in difficult situations. I see him wrestle with the best way to care, uh, not just this congregation here, but as a part of the whole of the One Hope family and how, as a church, you can respond well to the challenges and carry the gospel both to one another and to the world around you. Jono is a man of wisdom, of hard work. He's considered, he's intentional, he's confidential, and he has enormous integrity. Value Jono. He is a great gift to you. I really want to encourage you, value him. And he has no idea that I'm saying this to you. <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't set me up at all. Um, it's, but it's nice to be able to boast about him. Then uh, Moolap, um, the congregation here. Uh, churches like people, uh, like families are unique. And this congregation is unique. Um, there is the one thing I'd like to encourage you that I have uh, observed which I think is especially important in these days of challenge that we're going through as a society and as a church. Years ago, I was able to watch at a, as a distance uh, uh, the journey of, of Moolap and Barable uh, coming together as one church in two locations. Now, I saw that the 20 plus forums that were held here 
to enable you as a church community to listen to each other deeply, to hear and to understand and to discern the times and the wise way to walk together. The deep understanding that you went through in that time was unique. And as people, we often struggle to really listen to each other. And so it was an encouragement to me to see the effort and the integrity that you went through to listen to each other and to God. I'm reading a book by an Australian counsellor and pastor called Graham Ken. I don't know if you've heard of Graham. Uh, it's called Confronting Conflict, the book. And Graham's now in his 80s. He's pastored overseas. He's um, done mission work. And he started the Alcana Retreat Centre in Marysville, which perhaps you've, you've heard of. Graham says in his book, most of us, when involved in conversations where there is a strong difference of opinion, listen for information and advantage. How true is that? You know, you and I have all been in conversations where being right is the most important thing to us. And so we listen to gain information so that we can show the person that we're speaking to the flaws in their argument and the superiority of our position. Isn't that true? But what happens when we listen and we really seek to understand? How do you feel when someone really seeks to listen to you? Graham says, listening is as important as it affirms both one person and us. If there is a fruit of the Spirit that applies directly to our ability to harness our emotions and listen deeply, it's self-control. Now, part of your, this congregation's deep story, a part of your unique DNA is a willingness to listen. And I believe that was deposited in you a number of years ago. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, but Dave, I wasn't there when that happened. How many of you have actually thought that while well, I've actually said this? Well, it might have been before your time, but just as there is a legacy and an inheritance and a unique shape to our natural families. You know how when you walk into a family and they've just got a particular kind of flavour, you'll, you'll even be able to say, oh, that family's always doing this. You, there's kind of marks in a family, isn't there? Well, it's the same for churches. And so that unique DNA of listening, even though you weren't perhaps here when that occurred, You've stepped into this family. It's part of your legacy. It's part of your inheritance and your DNA. And so I want to encourage you that it's there, but I also want to encourage you for those of you that are here, that it is something to guard. It is incredibly precious. So how encouraging for me to come here and see that up here is this time of listening that you're doing tomorrow night. Things like that. I want to encourage you. That's something that all of us preserve together is that listening to one another. So you modelled something in that time uh, to the broader church that's rare. And, and, it, and it, I think it's increasingly under threat. That willingness to listen and to understand that enables wisdom to speak instead of falling to the wailing megaphone that we especially see in this election time of being Right. We're increasingly polarised in our society, aren't we? And our world. With, I'm right, 
and you're wrong. Whether it's left or right, progressive or conservative, east or west, listening and understanding that enables the voice of wisdom to be heard is increasingly hard to find. And that stood out at bat to me as I meditated on the words of James. And in a letter written most likely by Jesus' half-brother who went from a place of disbelief to belief in his brother after his death and his resurrection. He was called James the Just. So let's just read a few verses from chapter 1. Anna mentioned verse 17 a little bit later that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. But just before that is this very famous passage which if you've been a Christian any time, You've, uh, you've meditated or looked at it before. So let's have a look at this passage as we seek to consider and understand what it means to walk in wisdom. Let's look at James 1, 2 to 5. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We live in in an age that's desperate to know Over the last few centuries, since the birth of the Enlightenment, knowledge is our great pursuit. The pursuit of knowledge, it's given us many, many wonderful things over these last few centuries. I was thinking about science and modern medicine, democracy, uh, law, um, and the precursors to human rights. They're all things that have emerged out of the last few centuries as we've pursued knowledge. However, along with the increase of knowledge, I think it's accentuated, and I use this word intentionally, the aggression to know, and that by knowing, I can be right. Being right feeds, I think, our little G, God, tendency to live proudly, self-righteously, and with unreasonable confidence. When you're young, your black and white list can be long. But there's enough grey hairs here, or in my case, no hairs, to realise the older I get, my list of black and whites is getting smaller. I hesitate, and I even hesitate to even come and preach because I want to listen more. And I want to be slower to be able to tell other people what I think is right. I want to lean in with my brothers and sisters into God, into wisdom. When you don't know, you have a natural hesitation, don't you? You remember the first time you stepped into a job, perhaps into a new community, maybe coming here to the church the first time. When you step into something that's unfamiliar, you are hesitant, aren't you? Naturally. My wife, Julie, and I, we got a, uh, a new timber bed base a couple of months ago. And at the end of it, is, there's a little section that juts out at the end. A few days after we 
put it up. I got up in the middle of the night to do the uh, obligatory stop in the middle of the night. And as I got up and in that half kind of sleep state, I managed to, to hit my knee on this little bit that jutted out. I tripped and at the end of our bed is a blanket box. And so I went down and I hit my head uh, on the corner of this blanket box. Boy, you can get a lot of blood out of your mouth when you really do a good job on it. And uh, eight hours later after sitting in the emergency surgery, I have a scarf because my lip was split in half and I have a semi-numb lip, even now, which is a constant reminder to me that assuming that you know the right way can get you in all sorts of trouble. James called the first century Christians to persevere. Well, to persevere in what? What would you say? Well, he said it's to persevere in trials of many kinds. There are a number of trials that the rest of the letter that he writes, that he's trying to encourage them, keep going in, persevere in. He says, love each other practically. Walk in justice. Live with equity. Recognise the demonic strategies of greed and pride. Pray and seek God in humility. To persevere in these things is to persevere in trusting God's sovereign goodness, especially when it calls us, it calls you and I to persevere in the two most transforming activities that our faith in Jesus will test us with. What are they, you're thinking? What are the two most important things that you will have to persevere in your life as a follower of Jesus? One is love. And the other is suffering. Those are the two great areas of personal and corporate transformation. I see in the church that COVID has exposed what I suspect has probably been there for quite some time. Our diminished ability and willingness to love each other and to suffer. Instead of persevering in love, we often leave. And we leave poorly. Relationships, friendships, marriages, home groups, ministries, church families. When suffering causes us to be limited in our entitled choices, our plans and our comforts are under threat, we complain, we get angry, we blame others. And instead of looking in and seeing if God wants to seek to transform us, we shift the responsibility to the speck in the other person's eye and are unwilling to look at the log in our own. And as a result, you and I let go of the two things that draw us into greater intimacy with Jesus. God uses both love, persevering love, and persevering with suffering to bring us closer to Him. Why does David say in Psalm 63, I seek you in what kind of a land? A dry and weary land that's without water. Paul gets on his knees in Ephesians chapter 3 and he, and he says, talks about love. He says, I pray that you might be rooted and established in love 
and that together with all God's holy people, you might know how wide and high and long and deep is this love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, love and suffering. These two things that bring us into greater intimacy with Jesus. But instead, we exchange persevering love and suffering with being right. I'm right and you're wrong. And now I'm justified in my choice. I want you to notice that in verse five of the passage that we looked at, that James says that when we lack the wisdom to persevere, we can ask God who gives, us to, to, gives wisdom to us, I love this, generously without finding fault. Aren't you glad that God doesn't run the fault meter over your life and my life before he's willing to give us wisdom? Without finding fault, it sounds like an extension to grace to me. Grace, God's empowering presence, the Holy Spirit that we receive as a gift when we put our faith in Jesus, gives us wisdom we need without seeing whether you or I have done enough to qualify for it. How much does that stand in the contrast with being right? When I listen to gain the knowledge to be right, to hold on to my rights and to prove that I am right, I'll come to God on the basis of self-righteousness, not on the righteousness that I gain through putting my faith in Jesus in repentance. You know, all of us have made decisions where we want to get it right. And perhaps you're ever in one right now. You've either probably just made a decision, you're in the midst of making a decision, or you're about to make a decision where you probably are saying, I want to get it right. And perhaps you've even read this passage before and you've asked God for wisdom when really what we're really asking for is, I want to get it right. Because sometimes making a wise choice brings you to an outcome that's a lot different than when we're seeking to be right. So I wonder if we're asking for the wisdom to persevere in wisdom that requires love and suffering, or do we ask to be right so that we're right? When we hold on to the belief of wanting to be right, to live a, a, a life where there's no accusation that can be levelled at, at us that we've got anything wrong, then we fall into that belief that we approach God on the basis of our righteousness, our perfection. And when that happens, well, mercy and grace, they become these easily dispensable items. We don't need them. So our world uses knowledge to create a hierarchy structures. I want you to think about it. Those with the most knowledge who are able to wield their knowledge, how do we treat them? What positions do we give them? They're the people at the top, aren't they? People who have knowledge, who know how to wield it, they're at the top, and those with the least knowledge and the least ability to wield it are at the bottom. Knowledge is, you've got it, power, it's power. But James says that any of us can come to God and ask for wisdom because it's a gift of his grace 
It's not something that you appropriate on the basis of your righteousness. It's a gift you receive because of repentance and faith you had in Jesus. That's because wisdom's not a commodity. It's not an entity. It's a person. It's a person that wills us on, that encourages us to persevere in love and suffering. So that like Jesus, we know God more deeply through persevering love and suffering. And that God's kingdom can be established through us and, as we, tr- and we can trust more deeply in his goodness, in God's goodness. So what does wisdom look like? Well, I've kind of mentioned earlier that Ephesians 3, 16 to 18, Paul prays a prayer that I'm sure if you've been a Christian any time, you've heard this prayer. Paul, I believe, was literally on his knees and he prays and he says, For this reason, Father, I kneel before you, the Father of all families, and I pray that you might have power through the Holy Spirit that Christ would come and dwell in your heart by faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, one hope, might have together with all God's people the ability to grasp how high and wide and Long and deep is this love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound good? Being filled to the whole measure of the fullness of God sounds like wisdom to me. But it comes through persevering in love. So what does love, uh, wisdom look like? Well, I think it looks like love. It looks like listening deeply. It looks like listening together in prayer. It means to listen to someone that you think has got it wrong. It means being willing to be challenged in the areas that we think are right. I think it's in perseverance in love, is is practical love, in serving each other. And And your senior pastor has just called you to serve one another as a body. By the way, he hasn't paid me to say that either. (laughs) It's in meeting together. Well done for being here. It's in submitting our gifts for the benefit of each other. Love or wisdom is okay with not knowing everything before giving itself in trust to the sovereign goodness of God. Love and wisdom is okay with the tension of what seems to be a contradiction the lion and the lamb. That you and I hold the glory of God in jars of clay. It doesn't move to black and white and right and wrong and judgment and condemnation. Wisdom seeks to love. Wisdom seeks to see God's ways, not in his deeds. In other words, I seek God not with my prescribed outcome of what I think He should do, how I think He should do it, so that it suits my pre-described plan and idea of how I think my life should run. But I seek His character. I seek His will. I seek His 
righteousness, not mine. So walking in wisdom, a couple of questions for you to consider personally and together. Are there any places where you are seeking to be right rather than wise? Now, as I ask that question, I want you to think about areas of conflict. Look for the conflict. More often than not, you'll see that you're falling to the temptation to be right rather than to be wise. And where is God calling you to persevere in wisdom that transforms you and our world through love and suffering? I've got a a friend of mine, Robbie Keane, an Englishman, uh, who started an NGO in eastern Uganda in 2003. I was chatting with Robbie uh, towards the end of last year because we were discussing with him uh, about lending uh, Jenga some money to be able to help um, coffee plant, uh, coffee uh, farmers over in, in, um, in Bali, the area that Robbie works. And in the course of the emails going back, I wrote to Robbie about what I was seeing the the challenges of being for us as a church in Australia. I wrote to him and I said, the Aussie church is going through some very heavy pruning right now. I'm not sure what things are going to look like on the other side of this. And I'll admit, when I'm typing that, I wrote that because I was hungry to know. I respect Robbie as a leader and I was just hoping that he could show me what the right thing to do is right now. Robbie's response was to me, and you've got to, you've got to think of the accent. He's talking like this, back at me, David. Like He says, I just want to say I'm both happy and I'm glad to hear that a church is being pruned and also that you don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. How can you? That's where faith comes in. Any healthy church should be experiencing the same at the moment. If heavy change and pruning ain't happening, then the, Lord ain't, then the church ain't doing business with the Lord. <laughs> be encouraged and don't look at the numbers and the end results because you ain't God. Sometimes the Lord has to break a church to remake a church. He did it in Acts, so why can't he do it now? You just focus on your part and responsibility and you trust him with the rest. Mm, It's a good word, Robbie. Sometimes the Lord has to break the church to remake it. Which one of those is? Of the two that I've talked to you about. What's he talking about? He's talking about suffering, isn't he? Sometimes the Lord has to break to remake. He did an acts, so why not now? Just focus on your part and your responsibility and trust Him. What does that sound like? Sounds like love to me. Trust Him with the rest. We are going through profound change and severe pruning in the Australian church. And it's because the Father wants You and I, he wants his bride to be restored to a place of fruitfulness in him and he wants his fruitfulness to be evident through us. As a church here at Moolat, this campus, you've got a beautiful history. You really have. 
but be prepared to be pruned individually and corporately. Seek to listen and understand. Persevere in love and in suffering. And see the generous grace of the spirit of wisdom lead you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that all of our days are in your hands. Father, um, you know what we've been going through individually and corporately the last couple of years. And Lord, we just want to declare, as Anna reminded us further on in the book of James, that you are good. And Lord, if anyone is in a circumstance right now where they're struggling to see your goodness, Lord, I want to pray that you'd give them a spirit of perseverance and encouragement because you are the God of all perseverance and all encouragement. God, would you give this community here the same attitude in both their heart and mind that you gave Jesus so that with one mind and one voice they might declare the glory and the goodness of God to one another and to a lost world around them. Bless them abundantly, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.